Awesome. Good morning, everybody. Oh, man, let's give God praise for our worship team one more time. Holy smokes. Awesome. Good stuff. We are so blessed by those guys every single week. It was Molly and the dudes this morning. I like that. Uh, That was good. Hey, uh, we are really glad you're here this morning. And if you are new or you're visiting with us or you've just been kind of coming in the last couple weeks and checking things out, we love new people here at Hope. That's why we exist. And I'll tell you what, if your experience of Hope Des Moines is limited to an hour a week or just you come on the weekends, let me tell you, there's some exciting stuff going on here during the week that you may not be aware of, that you may be missing out on. So it starts with just kind of walk you through a typical week. We've got Alpha going on Sunday nights. Uh, right now, people exploring the big questions of life and wrestling uh, with that. We've got a great group together for that. Monday night, uh, we've got a, uh, a young adult Bible study that's been going. That's not so much a small group anymore. It's more of a medium-sized group uh, as it continues to grow. And if you want, there's more information in your bulletin uh, about getting involved in that. That's on Monday nights. Tuesday nights, we kicked out our, uh, our off our ESL class, English as a Second Language. And so uh, we've got a great group together for that. If you uh, would be willing to help with that, we could use a few more volunteers for that as well. Wednesday nights, I'm not normally here, but I popped in this last Wednesday night. And folks, let me tell you, if you haven't been here, on you should just come on a Wednesday night. This place is hopping. I'm surprised the building's still standing on Thursday morning sometimes. But we have an awesome student ministry going. And Ryan Tunick, our student ministry coordinator, does an awesome job. Uh, with that, I popped in. And, and Matt Baird, who's a member of Hope that happens to be the lead singer of Spoken, a uh, Christian rock band that tours the nation, just happened to be in town that night. So he's up here leading worship. And then uh, kids are passionate about Jesus, and they're worshiping. And then I turn around, and I come back and they've got peanut butter and cereal stuck to their face. So it's all in a good night uh, of student ministry here, but all for the glory of God as well. Flip it over to Thursday night. We kicked off our WizKids uh, program. You see that picture in the upper right there is just the training for our volunteers for that after-school program for neighborhood kids. And uh, we've got so many volunteers this year. You answered the bell on this one, folks, that we've got uh, enough volunteers that we can almost have a one-to-one ratio with these kids and get them the love and the attention and the mentoring that they're so desperate for that to need that attention. So thank you for those of you uh, that have been a part of that. And then this weekend, we've got a whole handful of women that are up at Riverside Bible Camp for their annual women's uh, retreat uh, up there. And so, guys, if your lady's up there and you're batching it, hang tight. You can do it. Uh, Be a man uh, in that sense. But uh, God is on the move. Amen? Amen. So the weekends really are just kind of icing on the cake to what God is doing all throughout the week and God moving. And so continue to pray and take take one more step out of the weekend. That's my challenge to you is is, is take a class, join a group, get connected, start serving in some way, and you're going to feel more connected. Where you serve is going to feel like family. And so if you're new to the community and hope seems kind of like this big church and how do I connect, would really encourage you to take one step beyond the weekend. If you have been kind of in and out, I want to get everybody up to speed. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Here We Stand. And we've been walking through kind of the foundations and the history of the Lutheran faith and this denomination. And really, uh, if you're not Lutheran, that's okay. You fit right in here. 80% of you are not. Uh, And yet, we are Lutheran Church of Hope. And so there's a, a pride that comes with that. There's a purpose that comes with that. And it might be surprising of what makes us Lutheran is maybe not what you think it is. What makes us Lutheran is this idea that we want to get the Bible and get God's Word in the hands of ordinary people like you and I so that every single person can have an encounter with Jesus. And that was really the heart of Luther as he reformed the church 
uh, and brought about the Protestant Reformation that we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of this year in 1517 to 2017. And so we're not going to party like it's 1999. We're going to party like it's the 1500s. That's what we do uh, as Lutherans. And one of the things that Martin Luther did, kind of the founder of this Lutheran movement, is he tried to take these big theological, hard-to-understand concepts and make them very practical so that we could teach them to each other and grow in them. And so he wrote this book called Luther's Small Catechism. And it's small for your convenience. It fits right in your pocket. It's like the size of your cell phone. It's pretty slick. Uh, and in there, a lot of these things we've been talking about the last couple weeks, he unpacks uh, Holy Communion, why we do that, baptism, why we do that. Last week, the Apostles' Creed. And today we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Now, just by a show of hands, I'm guessing that many of you, how many of you have at least heard the Lord's Prayer, right? I'm not going to ask who's prayed it recently, but you've all heard of it. And I'm guessing I would get the same response if we had a room full of people that were not Christians, the people that are outside the church and really don't care about God. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most recognizable things that has ever been, and yet also one of the most misunderstood as well. Not just the Lord's Prayer, but I have to believe that we got to back up prayer in general is one of the most often misunderstood things. I mean, how often do you hear people around you say things like, you know what, I am just completely confident in my prayer life. I tell you what, I have so much free time, I have so much bandwidth that I just don't know what to do with it, so I just pray all day long and it comes really easy for me and I always know exactly what to say in prayer and I'm just, I'm just nailing it. When I spend a couple hours in prayer every day in my free time and I'm just totally comfortable praying out loud for everybody. Anybody hear anybody say that? No! Nobody ever says that because for the reality for most of us, prayer is this weird thing. I'm talking to somebody that I can't see. I mean, you could get committed for something like that, right? This is a weird thing. And for a lot of you, you've been praying for a long time, and so today will be a great refresher to look at prayer in a new way. But for a lot of us, prayer is weird. And just to set your mind at ease to know that you're here among friends, and if you haven't gotten prayer, prayer figured out, you're in the right place. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. I, I say that sometimes, and I say, turn to your neighbor, and if you're not familiar with church, you might not be familiar with that jargon. Well, neither is uh, my good friend Michael Jr. He's one of my favorite Christian comedians, and he's got a few words to say about prayer. And before we get into the serious topic of prayer, I thought, it might be good just to laugh a little bit. And if you're new to church, you're going to resonate with Michael Jr.'s experience of prayer in church. Let's take a look. There you go. It's just that easy, folks. If you ever wondered how to pray, just, you know, think of all those commercials in your head, right? Prayer comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And unfortunately uh, for Michael Jr., and I think for a lot of us, is that we, we take this beautifully simple thing of talking to God in prayer, and we make it something so complex into this nerve-wracking, rehearsed speech where you're afraid of saying something. And like he said, I don't have the spiritual vocabulary that other people do. And you've heard the pastor pray or the worship leader pray or somebody in your small group. And you're like, I'm never going to pray out loud because I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to start quoting some boys to men song in the middle of my prayer. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just going to start making stuff up because I don't know how to pray. And that's okay, but we don't want to stay there. Some of us just kind of keep that distance between us and God, and we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I come to worship every week, and I can do the worship, and I can do the, the, the reading the Bible and stuff like that, but prayer, that's just for the super spiritual people, you know, the people that really have it all figured out. And on the other hand, some of you might just be flat-out apathetic to the whole thing. You're like, that's great if some people want to do that, but I'm good. I'll, you know, say grace before and after meal, and, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, -dub, thanks for the grub. That works for us, you know. 
in our house. But beyond that, that's kind of what I've got. If you're a, if you're a Hawkeye fan today, <clears throat> keep the faith, brothers and sisters. I had a whole sermon written out, and my whole first paragraph was how prayer works. But, but I was praying the Lord's prayer at the end of the game against Penn State. I was saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from Penn State. I mean, evil. I mean, you know, interchangeable. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Prayer works, folks, even if we don't win football games. But some of you might say, prayer doesn't work. That's why I don't do it. Because I've been praying for something for a while, and it doesn't happen, and I wonder if God's listening. Others of you are like, I want to grow in it, but I just don't know how. I honestly don't know what to say. Well, the good news is we're not the only ones that have struggled with prayer. Jesus' own disciples, and this gives me great comfort, Jesus' own disciples hung out with him for three years, and they still didn't get it. <laughs> they still didn't have the whole thing figured out. And so we're going to unpack what Jesus' response to them is. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 11 is what you heard Brad read for us today. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and take those out. If you don't have a Bible, that's why our ushers have them. That's why they're all over the worship centers. We would encourage you to grab one on your way out. So Luke chapter 11 is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And so it's going to be kind of in the back third of your Bible. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it's about halfway through Jesus' ministry, and Jesus prays a lot to his father, and he has this relationship with his father to it gets to the point where the disciples say, I want that. Do you ever have anybody in your life that you look at their life and, that, and you go, I don't know what it is about them, but I want what they're having? They, they just have this connection with God. Well, that's what the disciples felt about Jesus, and so in verse 1, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. In verse 2, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Other translations will continue on and say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of your Bibles will leave off what's called the doxology. And that ending part and the glory of the Father and that whole bit. And some of you are really worried, like, it's stolen from my Bible. It's not there. Some translations leave it in, some take it out. It was in the original manuscripts in the Greek. And yet, when we hear that, I would imagine that when most of you hear that, you think of standing in church, you think of some uh, you know, guy up front leading you through this prayer and the words are on the screen or they're in the hymnal in front of you and the general sound from the congregation is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of King of right? And we just kind of roll it out there and we don't even think and it's kind of become this rehearsed speech or this, this religious chant where we sort of go through the motions and we don't even think about what we're saying and the power not only of this prayer but of prayer in general. We just sort of go through the motions. Instead, what if I told you that prayer could be something that you delight in, something that you look forward to, and the most natural thing in the world to do? Would you want to know more about that? If I told you that every day you had the opportunity to have literal conversations with the wisest, kindest, most loving, most accepting, and powerful being in the universe, would you be up for that? I would take them up on that. And that's the offer that Jesus is making through teaching us about prayer. So how do we get there? How do we develop a conversational relationship with God? Well, it starts not by me as a pastor telling you, you should pray. 
I'm guessing that's not why you got up this morning is to feel more guilty about your prayer life, right? So I want to come at it from a little different angle, and I want to go back to the literal beginning of our relationship with God. So keep your finger in Luke 11 and flip all the way back to the beginning of your Bible in the first couple pages to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to hang out there for a second. Genesis chapter 3. You're familiar with the story. God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he gives Adam and Eve one thing not to do. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and they eat from that tree, and yet... In verse 8, God comes looking for them. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, get this, as he was walking in the garden. Adam and Eve are hiding, just like some of you are hiding this morning. Whatever you got going on in your life. And what does God do? He comes looking for us. He says, I'm not going to settle for this type of relationship. God says from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, No space between us. No space between us, between you and relationship with me. Remember that earlier God creates them and he's literally walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. This is all pre-fall. This is all pre-sin and pre-brokenness. In fact, the Bible is filled with examples of people literally walking with God. Exodus 33, God spoke to Moses as a man speaks with his friend is literally what it says. 2 Samuel, God and David have a conversation. In Noah, the Lord spoke to Noah. Noah spoke to the Lord. Moses and God had arguments. They fought like brothers. They had a conversational relationship. From the beginning, prayer was a two-way conversation. And yet, how many people do you hear say, I'm going to throw some prayers up to God? What, are we playing darts or something? You know, see what, see what sticks. As if God is, like, not paying attention. It's like, oh, a prayer request. I was, I was nodding off. Prayer is a two-way conversation, a conversational relationship with God. One of my favorite examples of this is the story of Enoch. He gets about four or five lines in Genesis chapter 5. It says, after he became the father of Methuselah. By the way, if you're uh, expecting a baby or if you're looking for a baby named Methuselah, is a great Bible name that's out there available for you. It says, Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. He's an old dude. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Like, folks, I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, this is how I want to go out. I don't want to die in my sleep. I want to be walking with God, and then God literally come along and go, whoop, and you just go up the giant zip line up to heaven. Like, that's the way to go out. And I don't know about you, but if I got four or five lines in the history book about me, I would love, I would love to not have it say, man, he was really busy. He was a really important guy. His kids were super busy with lots of activities. Yeah, he was really important. He made a lot of money. I want it to say that John walked with God. I don't even want my, the history books to say John was a pastor. John gave a lot of sermons. John did 17 and led 17 Bible studies in his life. <laughs> Who cares? God doesn't. He wants a conversational relationship with you where everything else in your life, even in your Christian life, flows from that. Are you walking with God? God's heart from the very beginning. No space between us. That's the heartbeat of prayer. And some of you are like, John, that's great for back then and everything, but can you, li- what does it look like to walk with God? I mean, he's not like he's right there beside you. <laughs> oh, wait. 
He is. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to not just be beside us, but actually like living in us, that he's closer than we'll ever know, and so he goes with us. Well, think about it from the standpoint of a human relationship. What would it look like to see prayer as having a conversation with the person that knows you best? So take your, your spouse or your brother or your sister or your friend or a mentor or your best friend or whatever it is, and imagine that you're walking with them. This is one of the activities we have people do in our core class. That's a nice follow-up to Alpha. And I say, go like, go to Gray's Lake and, and just walk around with the person that knows you best, that loves you the most, and just start walking and talking. Just walk in circles. And just start telling them about your day and how's it going and what you're worried about and what you need help with. And, and, and practice active listening, obviously. Don't just yak at them. wonder if that's a lost art in our world of social media today. A lot of people struggle with listening. If you ask somebody a question, slow down and look them in the eyes and be fully present. That's all prayer is, is having a conversational relationship and start talking. And then what I tell them is, after you've gone around a few times, you're walking, split off and just keep talking. I mean, don't let tons of people see you talking to yourself because that'd be weird, but just keep talking in your normal voice. You don't have to have a spiritual vocabulary or sound different in prayer than you would sound talking to your best friend. That's the point. Talk normal. Talk like yourself, and God will go, hey, it's my boy. It's my daughter. I love talking with you. If God is the person that knows us best, shouldn't prayer be the safest place that we could be? The most intimate place that we could be? And he knows everything about you already. So your prayers don't have to be super fancy. And maybe that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. First of all, I love that the God of the universe says the word babbling. Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. You're not going to do it wrong. Some of you just need to live into that a little bit and breathe that in. I'm not going to do it wrong. God's invitation is to walk with him through life. Think about it. What other important relationship in your life can survive without continual communication? Imagine you get married and you look at your spouse and say, honey, it's been really great dating and this season of engagement, but now that we're married, you know, I got a really busy schedule, and so I think I can give you an hour a week. We'll talk for an hour a week, we'll connect, and, and that'll be it, right? No, that marriage isn't going to survive, right? Those of you that are parents, like God's a father, God's a parent, right? Imagine having a relationship with your kids where the only time that you talk to your kids where they come to you is when they need something or when something terrible has happened, right? Some of you are like, that is my relationship. I have, te I have teenagers, right? <laughs> give me your money, right? Give me the keys to the car, right? But that's not what you desire, right, as a parent. And you know, for those of you that are younger, that are, you connect with your parents, like, they want to live life with you. Those of you that have kids, you don't want to just hear, oh, I need this, I need that, I need that. They want to experience all of life with you. When you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, we enter into this all-in, all-of-life experience that is a priority above everything else in our lives. Guys, do you remember, those of you, guys, those of you that are married, do you remember the moment where you proposed to your wife? Do you remember that moment? For me, it was January, the evening of January 1st, 2009, and there's two reasons I remember that date like it was yesterday. Number one, I got engaged. Number two, the Hawkeyes won their bowl game. So in that order, so that's how I re remember it. But I just remember that moment, like my heart was beating so fast. You know, guys, in that moment, it, like, it feels like it's going to just come out of your chest. And I was like, so nervous. 
Not because I was worried about like her commitment or my commitment or what she was going to say or her answer or anything like that. I was nervous because this is a huge step. Getting married isn't something you go, ah, we'll try it for a while. If it doesn't work, I'll move on. This is a big deal. It's an all-in experience. I'm making this decision that my life is going to be completely different. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we're invited to have a relationship with the God of the universe, and we say, I'll get around to it when I have time in my schedule. And so I look at my wedding ring often, which is important, and it reminds me of a couple things. Number one, it goes with me all the, all the time, and it reminds me that Tiffany is a priority in my life. More important than, than in-laws and outlaws and brothers and sisters and family and my guy friends and her girlfriends, more important than our kids. More important than our kids is mom and dad's healthy relationship. We're called to make that a priority above everything else. Why would it be any different with God? Number one, it's priority. Number two, what this reminds me of is that that type of relationship requires, any relationship, not just marriage, any type of friendship requires continual investment. One of the biggest mistakes that I see couples make that are just giddy in love when I meet with them for pre-marriage counseling, give it a couple years and they're like, yeah, we kind of just hang out and survive and they would never say it, but they're roommates because they stopped dating. They stopped pursuing each other's hearts. They stopped going on a shared adventure together. Is your life about surviving and shuttling the kids around? You know what your kids need most of all? They need a mom and dad that are just crazy in love with each other, and they know it, and a mom and dad that have a purpose and a mission that's bigger than making it to the weekend. It's something that's bigger, that takes continual investment in exploring each other, so there's no space between us. No space between us. Why would it be any different with God? It's our priority, it's our investment, and finally, what that ring reminds me of is delight. <laughs> what if you got married and you turned to your spouse and said, honey, it's been real, but it's about time, you know, we get down to our to-do list because we got things to do, so we ain't got no time for fun because we <clears throat> moved to Texas all of a sudden. I don't know what that's all about, but we got stuff to do, honey. We got to get down to the honey to-do list, so here we go, right? Nobody wants to hear that. You get married for the sake of delight to enjoy each other, not to be productive. Yeah, that comes with it, but relationships are about delight. Is your relationship with God about filling in the blanks and checking off worship every week? Like, oh man, I can't wait to go to worship. I can't wait to experience God together. Why would it be any different in our relationship with God? Priority, investment, delight. Does that describe your relationship with God this morning? Does that describe how you view prayer? And if not, the good news is it's possible. You can have that. And again, I want to emphasize, check out that prayer class we're doing called War Room. Starts in a couple weeks on Wednesday nights. Practical ways to experience God in prayer. I've got really good news for you. God doesn't need your prayer. He doesn't need anything. He's God. Prayer isn't for him, it's for you. It's not for his benefit, it's for your benefit so that it would literally be your pulse, your lifeblood, the beating of your heart. It's a gift that he wants to give us like a good father, which takes us back 
to Luke 11 and the Lord's Prayer. With that mindset of prayer, a conversational relationship with your Father, now let's walk through really quickly the Lord's Prayer. Not as a formula. I want you to hear that. I don't want you to hear this morning, if I say the Lord's Prayer, just as Jesus taught it, of course, in the King James Version, because that's when Jesus wrote it down, it was the King James Version. That's a joke. Uh, No, it is not the, the combination code to a lock, and if I say a prayer just right, then God will hear my prayer. One of the things I love about the Lord's Prayer is that not only does Jesus teach us what to pray, but he gives us a glimpse into his character, into his heart. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through the Lord's Prayer, and sometimes it's easy to do it in a visual sense that, that makes sense. And so there, in my mind, there's five parts to the Lord's Prayer, and so it ends up kind of being a pentagon, a five-sided shape, and there's five different parts to the Lord's Prayer. So if you're back in Luke 11, let's look at that together. The first part of the prayer that we get into that is our Father in heaven. Everybody say Father. 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 It's God's character. If you're keeping score at home, that's the first thing that we learn about God is God's character. And the first thing we learn about him is those first two words, our Father. If you don't know the person you're praying to, then prayer is going to be really, really confusing. Jesus says, start by addressing God as Father, which is revolutionary in that Jewish culture that Jesus stepped into. Jews had such a, and rightly so, a reverence for God that they would call God by some of his nicknames, words for God, but they wouldn't even say Yahweh all the way. They would say a part of it, not all the symbols out of awe and reverence for God. And yet Jesus shows up, the Son of God, and says, actually, this is how you should pray. Our Father, and that word Father in the Aramaic there is Abba, and Abba literally means Daddy. (laughs) The Jews are like, oh, you can't talk to God because he's so other and he's so distant from your life. And Jesus comes along and says, actually, you can just call him dad. Why would he do that? Because he wants you to start the prayer off by realizing that the prayer, that in prayer, your relationship with God can be the most vulnerable place and the most safest place that it can be. Oftentimes in my inordinate amount of free time that I have, I watch YouTube. And sometimes when I watch YouTube, I start to cry because I watch commercials. They're specifically aimed at 34-year-old men that have two children under the age of four to make you sob uncontrollably. (laughs) Hence the Dove commercials. Yes, Dove, like body wash and deodorant and things like that. I'm sitting watching YouTube, and every year around Father's Day, they come out with these commercials. And a couple years ago, they came out with one all about daddy. And as you watch this commercial, think about the opening to the Lord's Prayer. Let's take a look. Daddy. And so there I am sitting at my computer going, God, what is going on? Because I think we all long for that. What if that was your view of God? And regardless of what your relationship has been like with your father, if, if he's still around, if you had a good or a bad relationship, you have a father in heaven that is good, that is not only amazing God, but he is a Abba, that he is your daddy. And we never stop needing a father. Some of you are like, oh, that's cute for those with little boys and little girls. That's really cute. We never stop needing a father. Whether you're, you're a you're dad, you know this. You never stop being a dad to your kids, and God doesn't stop being a father to us. You never stop being a dad, whether it's, you know, about the monster in the closet at age 8 or what college to go to at 18 or how to parent at age 28 or how to problems at work at age 48. You never stop needing a father. But a lot of us live like orphans, like we don't have a father. 
but you have one that you can come to with anything. Wouldn't that just revolutionize our prayer meetings, our, our, our meetings, our, our dinner table conversations? I'm in a lot of Bible studies and small groups and meetings, and I, there's always that awkward moment, and you know what's coming, and somebody says, okay, who wants to pray? Like, don't call on me. Don't make eye contact with the leader. Don't make eye contact with the pastor. Please don't call on me, right? What if that was our view of prayer? Daddy, woo! Who wants to pray? I do, I do, I do. What if I said when we had prayer partners up here at the end of worship, it was just like a, a rock concert, like a mosh pit, and everybody just came up and said, I do, I want to pray, Dad, woo! No? Okay, maybe we have some work to do then. I want that kind of relationship with God. I don't care what people think. I don't have anything to prove to anybody, and neither do you. Our Father, who art in heaven, he's your dad. Don't forget that. It's a part of God's character. Also part of God's character, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody say hallowed. It's a weird, it's not Howard. God's name isn't Howard, be thy name. It's hallowed, just another word for holy. Everybody say holy. holy. Holy literally means set apart. So God is our father and he's approachable, but God is also completely holy and other, which means he's not of this world and he's not limited in any way. And sometimes we treat Jesus like our homeboy and we realize he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And he says, pray big. Some of you are like, dear God, help me to get through my day and get to work, and that annoying person that's in the cubicle next to me, just help me to make it to the weekend. Thanks, God. Amen. And God's up in heaven going, that's it? I defeated sin, death, and power of hell to come back and have a relationship with you? Pray big. Pray big. You got prayer requests? Bring it, God says. I can, I can handle anything, and I'm not shocked by anything that you're going through. God's not upstairs going, oh my word, I can't believe they're having financial trouble. I had, no, I had no idea you were hurting in your marriage. Oh, He's got it. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's got you. So come to him in awe. Come to him with boldness. When's the last time you came before God with such awe that you just went, wow. Some of my best times of worship and prayer have been looking at the stars. How about you? That's worship. When we sing songs in here, we're not just singing words on the screen. God's not really interested in what comes out here. Some of you just can't sing at all, and that's fine. The Bible says make a joyful noise. He's a little bit more concerned about what's going on in here. When you come into worship, do you open up your heart and soul and say, God, breathe into my life? That's prayer. That's worship. So come in awe and come boldly. That's the character of God. Secondly, Jesus says, thy kingdom come. Everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. That was a pretty big topic for Jesus. And there is a great reminder that when we come to faith and we're saved, it's not like a get out of jail free card. I'm just going to sit around and wait for heaven someday. Jesus literally teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning be the answer to your own prayer. That's why we love, that's why we serve, that's why we reach out and serve and missions and discipleship and all these things is so that God's kingdom, the way that kingdom is the way that the king wants it. And so we want earth to be like it is in heaven and we know that we're not there yet and so Jesus, when we pray that prayer, be careful what you ask for because he might just say, okay, I want to bring the kingdom through you. I want you to take a step of faith. 
I don't want you to just pray it. I want you to do prayer. I want you to be the answer to your prayer. Thy kingdom come. Next, give us this day our daily bread. Everybody say provision. Provision. God knows what you need. Anything, uh, maybe you can do this experiment. Go buy a new loaf of bread and leave it on your counter for seven months. What's going to happen? You going to eat it? No, it's moldy. Prayer is meant to last for a day, maybe a couple, maybe a week if it's really good bread. That's why Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Notice it doesn't say at this point in the prayer, Jesus doesn't say, pray to God, now show me my five-year and my 10-year plan for my life. He doesn't say, God, give me all the answers. He says, God, give me what I need for today. Why? Because trusting God for today leads us into a relationship with him. If you knew your five-year and 10-year plan, would you need God? He wants a relationship with you. But don't miss it. We're also encouraged to ask. Verse 8, Jesus tells this parable, and he encourages us to come to God with a shameless audacity, a shameless persistence, the audacity to believe that things can change. What's getting in the way of you asking for help today? Is your marriage struggling? Ask him. Your finances struggling? Ask him. You struggling in your relationships? Ask him for help. Do you have a big decision coming up? God says to you this morning, not in judgment or shame, he says, I'm just waiting here. You don't have to live life alone. You have a father. You're not an orphan, so live like it's true. Come to me with anything that's going on. Maybe not, you're not going to get all the answers, but you'll get your daily bread. You'll get enough for today in God's provision. Next he says, and forgive us our sins. Everybody say confession. Confession. We're almost there. Why confession? Isn't that some weird thing you do like in a little booth with a Catholic priest or something like that? Why confession? Every day? Are you kidding me? If you could imagine, some of you walked in here spiritually today with the equivalent of a massive backpack filled with rocks. And it's the mistakes from your past. It's the guilt and the shame and the sin that you've been carrying around for way too long. Some of you, something that happened yesterday, for some of you, you've been carrying the weight of a mistake that you made 12 years ago. And it's weighing you down. And Jesus says to you, every single day, let it go. You don't have to put on a front in front of God. That's why we're called to confess our sins, even if it's something that somebody else did to you. So once you've experienced God's forgiveness, how could you not help but forgive those, even those that have wronged you, even those you're angry against, even though that you're bitter against? Some of you, something, somebody did something to you, and you've been carrying that around. Let me just tell you, bitterness, hatred, all of that, it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. Let it go. Some of you need to make a phone call today. Some of you need to have a conversation and stop carrying around that, whatever that, those heavy rocks are. Let it go. Jesus went to the cross so that it could stay at the cross. You don't have to carry it around with you. You don't have to look like you have it all together. Confess your sins daily. And last but not least, lead us not into temptation. Everybody say protection. Protection. We often forget about this one, but we have an enemy. And sin is real, and evil is real, and darkness is real, and the enemy is real. And oftentimes we forget that, and often we pray reactively rather than proactively. 
We pray defensively, rather like, oh man, I sinned, I need to ask for forgiveness. We'll do that. But Jesus says, don't forget to pray offensively. <laughs> when you're going on a work trip or a road trip, do you pray for God's protection to keep you from temptation? If you know you're going to a hotel room by yourself, you're like, I'm just going to go and see what happens. Know yourself. Know where your weak spots are, where your vulnerable spots are. Usually it's when you're halt, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Halt. Pray. That's when the enemy gets you. Hungry, angry, lonely. Uh, grab a Snickers first. Don't, don't be hungry. <laughs> hungry, angry, lonely, tired. The enemy gets his foot in the door. Do you pray over your kids? Have you prayed over your house? Do you pray for your family, for their safety and their protection? Do you pray over your day ahead? God, watch over me, protect me, lead me not into temptation. So much in a short, simple prayer. Folks, you could draw that on a napkin and explain the Lord's Prayer to somebody in a coffee shop. It's a short, simple, powerful prayer. Those of you that have your children baptized or are going to have your children baptized, this is a part of your vows. A part, yes, there's vows for baptism, not just marriage. In there, you are agreeing to teach your kids the Lord's Prayer. And my question for you is, do your kids know the character of their father? And a great way to do that is to live it out for them and to model the character of a good father so that when they pray to God, they know, oh, it's kind of like my dad. It's kind of like my mom. It's kind of like my grandpa, my grandma, whatever situation you have at home. Are you teaching your kids that they have that kind of a father that they can come to with anything? Your kids, your grandkids, are you modeling that for them? And yet at the end of the day, I have a feeling some of you are looking up that going, that's great, Pastor John. I have zero time to pray. That is the number one, by far, biggest objection that I have when I teach on prayer, when we lead classes on prayer, when I ask people how their prayer life is. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I barely have time to get my laundry done, and I'm supposed to pray? And the Bible says pray continuously? How in the world do you do that? You go for a walk. You go for a walk. We're addicted to our phones. Well, some of you are on your phone all day. Well, it's the same with God. Just never hang up. He doesn't. So just leave it off the hook. And, and, and all throughout your day, you're just going for a walk with God, just like a, a, somebody talks to their best friend. He goes everywhere with you. It's an ongoing conversation. I know you're busy. I know your schedules are jam-packed, but I do know this. Every single one of us has the time in between. You have the drive or the walk to work. You have the three minutes before a meeting. You have the pause at a stoplight. You're waiting to drop your kids off at school. You have a couple hours on the bleachers. You're in line at the store. And what do we do most often when we have a couple moments to kill? Checking on that cat that was stuck in the tree. Wow. It's just riveting. I love Facebook. I love Twitter. I use them a lot. But here's what I notice. It kills my prayer life. Because when I look down, my world gets really small. But in the time between when I take those moments to look up, my world gets really big. What if you spent less time looking down and more time looking up? Well, you have more time than you think. It's just a matter of how you fill it. And if you invite God into all those in-between times during the course of the day, and yet some of you are like, yeah, it's my schedule that's filled, but it's not just your schedules. It's also filled with noise. We are uncomfortable as a culture with prayer because we are uncomfortable as a culture with silence. 
That was five, that was four seconds, and it's killing some of you right now. We are uncomfortable with silence. Reminds me of a story, and this is where we'll land for today, from the Old Testament and 1 Kings about a prophet named Elijah, and he was desperate to hear from God. He was tired and he was worn out. Does that resonate with anybody? And he's desperate to hear from God, and so he goes to the mountain. God says, go to this cave, go to the mountain, and I'll show up. And I'll show up. And so he goes, and he's there, and, and, and God says, I'm going I'm to come. And so if you're Elijah, you're thinking, God's going to show up. Like, it's going to be amazing. The heavens are going to open up. He's going to be this big, loud noise, and God's going to show up. And he goes up on the mountain, and it says, first, a wind comes up and shakes the mountain violently. If you were sleeping, wake up. And it shakes the wind violently, but it says God wasn't in the wind. And then it says there's this earthquake that shakes the whole mountain. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it goes on and says, and then this massive fire comes and covers the entire mountain. But God wasn't in the fire. And then, in verse 12, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And most biblical scholars agree there is no perfect translation, and the best that they can come up with for that word that's used there for whisper is literally the sound of silence. Nothing. And some of you are really frustrated in your life right now because it seems like God is silent. Well, would you believe that it's actually in those times that we think that God is the farthest away when he actually might be the closest to you that he has ever been? In the silence, in the white space, in the in-betweens of life. Sometimes I wonder if there's a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our ability to pray. What if the Lord's Prayer wasn't some boring thing that you recite in church once in a while, but an invitation to pray and then listen? Why does God whisper often? Because it forces you to come close. He wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire. God says, come close this morning so that there's no space between us. There was a film that came out a few years ago called Spanglish. Maybe some of you have seen it. A lot of it's in Spanish, so I'm gonna kind of just tell you the ending here instead of translating it for you. But it tells a story of several parents and their kids, but one of the climactic scenes is this mom and her daughter that have had this tumultuous relationship and the mom just makes this decision that just rubs the, the girl the wrong way and, and there's tension between her and a teenager and you'll get the point of this if you've had teenagers or have them right now and there's this distance between them literally in their relationship and the scene kind of climaxes they're at this bus stop and they're turned their backs towards each other 
opposite ways and the girl <laughs> looks at her mom. The mom starts to come over to tell her something and she just puts her hand out like this and she says, not now. I need my space. And in that moment, the mom could have just said, that's fine that there's this distance between us. But like a good and loving parent, she walks over and with loving tears and passion in her eyes, looks at her child and says, no space between us. Hear the heartbeat of your heavenly father this morning. Whether you're apathetic to prayer, you don't care. It's the most weird thing in the world to you. You're not good at it. You don't know what to say. You feel like there's this distance and you feel disconnected from God and this whole church Jesus thing this morning. Jesus looks you in the eyes and says, I went all the way and I rose from the grave so that there would be no space between us. He's in the whisper. He's in the silence. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to take some time to just be still. I know you've got stuff to do. I do too. I know your calendar's full. Mine is too. I know your life is noisy. Mine is too. And this might be the best couple minutes, or at least the most quiet couple minutes of your life this week. So we're just going to pause and we're going to be still. And we're going to invite God to speak because it's him that we need to hear from more than anybody else. So let's just pause and be still in this moment together. God, we admit to you that we uh, forget often that you are our Father. And some of us have been so busy being productive adults <laughs> that we have forgotten to be your kids. So, Dad, we come to you this morning. Would you remind us that you love us just as we are and not as we should be? And we draw close to you, for you have drawn close to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we want to worship you. We want to talk to you. We want to be close to you. So let's all stand together and let's close as we sing, I want to be close.